Hi, I'm Alex Bailey, and this is my colleague. Hi, I'm Mandy Jack. And we're part of a team of academic developers at Swansea University who provide support and promote good learning and teaching practices and experiences. Welcome to A Pinch of Salt, Swansea University's learning and teaching podcast. If it has anything to do with learning and teaching in higher education, let's make sure everyone knows about it. In 2020, Swansea University adopted a new digital learning platform, moving from Blackboard to Canvas. To ensure the transition was as smooth as it could possibly be, the university assembled a project team of individuals who are passionate about technology in education. Over the past couple of years, the team has evolved, adapted, and supported staff to launch out into the world of online learning in the face of one of the most challenging events in recent history, the COVID-19 pandemic. Members of the former Canvas project team have since joined a group of academic developers within SALT called the Technology Enhanced Learning Team, who bring together a great wealth of practical technological experience with a strong knowledge of pedagogy within technology enhanced learning. We have the privilege of meeting some of them today to talk about their journey, how they support staff across the university and key issues in the world of TEL within higher education. So hello everyone, welcome to A Pinch of Salt. Would you like to take a moment to introduce yourselves and your role on the TEL team? Hi, I'm Melanie Hanker. I'm a senior academic developer in the TEL dev team. I was primarily working on Canvas, looking after the design, development and implementation of Canvas training for all staff in the university. Hello, I'm Fred Bonato. I'm an academic developer in the TEL team. Uh, originally come from the, the Canvas project team, as Alex has mentioned. And I've been with SALT for about three years now. Uh, I oversee much of the integration work for the third-party tools that we use within the digital learning platform, uh, as well as uh, consulting Canvas data in order to support some of the empirical decision-making that we need to do in TEL. Uh, some of my work with pedagogy also uh, has seen me involved in the ABC program. So we've, we've uh, conducted some sessions on that across the university. Hi, I'm Christian Stevens. I'm the digital learning manager in the TEL dev team. Uh, I recently joined the university uh, in March of this year. So really excited to um, get involved with all of the TEL dev team's work um, and which we're hopefully going to talk about more today. Well, thank you very much. Really nice to meet you all. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about what drew you towards technology enhanced learning as an area of interest, really? Yeah. Mel, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I've been working in the education sector for quite a number of years. And I think in early 2010s, I started to see a real big increase in the use of online platforms for learning, teaching, training, etc. But from what I was seeing, a lot was being created was heavily repository based, as opposed to anything that was really engaging. So I was seeing some examples of really excellent content being put online, but it wasn't maybe considering student user journey etc we were putting people into new and unfamiliar environments and expecting them to navigate through online material and I think from that experience I invested some time in studying and developing so I learned more about online learning so I wanted to be involved in designing things that met the learners needs more effectively but also that created a sense of community so it wasn't such a lonely journey for the learner as well as being flexible and more accessible. So they were kind of like my, my drivers getting involved in the same. Yeah, I know what you mean, because 
that's exactly how I used to feel about it. I remember when I was first introduced to Blackboard, and that was way before I started at Swansea University. And um, even before I started in um, Swansea Met, actually. And I just couldn't understand what the purpose was. We've, we've given them a handout, and now you want me to put the handout online? Surely there's got to be more than just using it in that way. Um, what about you, Christian? Is there anything? Technology's always always played a big role at various points in my life, really. I think ever since getting my first 48K Spectrum at eight years old with the rubber keys, and I'm probably showing my age there. You know, when I was at university, email was starting to enter the public consciousness. In my previous life, I, I worked in the law for a bit, and it was around the time when the dot-com boom was happening and e-commerce was becoming a thing, and it was having a real impact on, on contract law. Music streaming, or the whole Napster movement, that was having a big impact on copyright law. So it was a really exciting time when, when I was there. But then when I got into teaching, um, when I started on my, on my education journey, um, or working in an education journey, uh, it quickly became obvious to me that technology has so many affordances to really enhance education. I started off in, in the primary sector and I could see how it would engage the children, how it, it would promote collaboration, provide opportunities for creativity, and it really sparked the, 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 the innovation in the, in the children. You know, in terms of where we are today, I think technology now is such a vital part of our life in terms of our banking and our, our admin. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And I think being digitally capable and confident is something that's really important. So um, I'm really keen to sort of be a part of that in, in, in promoting people's confidence and ability to work with digital technology. And of course, if future predictions are to be believed, you know, around our employment prospects alongside the machines, then I think it's really important in learning and in higher education in particular that, you know, our learners leave higher education with that confidence, that word, that word again, that confidence in, in working with digital technology um, as in terms of digital skills for every day, but also how it can enhance education. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I mean, I think has had a massive impact on higher education, but only recently. So, as you said, it was in primary education way, way before it came into secondary education, and that had a massive, there was a massive gap between secondary and then HE. But finally, thanks to COVID, I think we've caught up nicely, if not exceeded. <laughs> Fred? Well, I, I come from a, a slightly different background. I've, uh, I've worked in IT for, for a number of years, and um, this might resonate with you, but I've, I found that oftentimes we have tools that are available to make um, our lives easier and, and, and to support whatever kind of work that we do, uh, but we might not necessarily have a, a full understanding of, of how to use them to, to the best capacity. And um, having gone through academia also for, for a number of years and, and been on the receiving end of how technology is used, uh, and having taught small courses myself uh, in, in side areas of photojournalism, um, I, I started to try to understand how we could use technology to, to teach a little bit better. And um, the opportunity to, to come into the Canvas project and to uh, have an impact on how the tools are used uh, within the institution, I think were, were a big attractor for me. Uh, so really, I'm, I'm interested in, in how uh, technology and teaching exist side by side and, and how they develop off, off of each other. So it's, a, it's really a symbiosis kind of a relationship and 
really it's about how we can help academics to, to teach and instruct better, how to teach efficiently, uh, how to make their lives easier, how to, to reduce workloads where possible. Really, it's how to teach enhanced, which is in our name. So many people come to technology and, and try and make it all about the technology. And it's not all about the technology. It's technology enhanced learning. You know, if you imagine uh, the learning and the technology as being an exhibit in a museum, the, the learning is the, the, the art piece itself. And the, the technology is just the pedestal to, to support that, isn't it? And to, to promote and present it. It's, people aren't there for the pedestal, aren't they? They're, they're, there, for, they're there for the learning. They're, they're not there for the technology. Um, you're, you're all here in this technology enhanced learning team. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the team does and how they support stuff? Well, I'll answer this question, but as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm I'm new to the team, fairly new to the team anyway. So uh, I'm sure if I uh, if I miss anything out or get anything wrong, then Mel and Fred can uh, jump in to correct me. But as we said at the beginning, the the university's gone through a, a really big project in getting Canvas implemented within uh, within the university to support teaching and learning. And a lot of the team's work before my time here has has been involved with supporting that implementation, driving that implementation, but also, of course, in making sure that staff are supported in knowing how to use the platform, looking at creating templates and providing some guidance and advice on best practice and how to effectively create an online course within Canvas so that it really makes an effective learner experience. And, of course, on the other side of the coin as well, in that, that problem-solving being that support mechanism for staff um, and for students who need that troubleshooting aspect of working with Canvas and as part of that journey of getting used to using Canvas uh, via the service desk. But um, I think, as I alluded to at the beginning, it's a it's an interesting time for us as a team because we're about to enter the third academic year of Canvas being in place at the university. And I think where we're at at the moment is we're moving from a phase of supporting staff to understand Canvas and to you to use it effectively and to be able to use it. Um, we're looking more now around themes of enhancement and developing the effective practice, you know, taking it that one step further. Um, and that's not only in terms of Canvas, because Canvas, of course, is, is a big part of what we do, but it's, it's one tool in the scope of technology enhanced learning. So, you know, our name is the technology enhanced learning team. We're not the Canvas team. So it's but one example of what we do. And I think where we're at now with that enhancement and that pushing of effective practice, we're really excited because we, we're hopefully going to be doing more work around promoting effective use of technology, other technologies as well as Canvas. Fantastic. And the global pandemic really gave educators a, a big shove into the world of online learning. So uh, how vital would you say that Canvas was during that time? And what role do you see it playing now as we move forward into the post-pandemic era? I think having that platform at that time really was helpful in supporting synchronous activity that, that was pivotal in that period, really. I think it gave staff and students a lifeline of, of connection. Um, I think staff managed really well with that rapid pivot to online and it enabled them to deliver some live lectures, perhaps some live seminars, tutorials, and it really helped connect the students to each other and the students to the lecturers in that period, and I think. Canvas itself and tools within Canvas, such as the Zoom integration, really helped with, with that connection and bring teaching and learning into the students' own spaces where they were at that point in time. I think, you know, there was a, a, maybe a recognition of, you know, long two-hour lecture videos versus smaller pre-recorded videos. So I think some staff went away and looked at 
using Panopto Canvas Studio more to create some more shorter bite-sized versions that were then integrated into Canvas in many different ways. It could have been used for, you know, introducing topics to learners, etc. Could have been used to enhance revision, support group work, etc. But I think these were all the kind of early iterations of a blended approach to learning that was actually maybe happening not so intentionally, maybe. So I think having the platform at that stage did kind of enable that kind of connectivity to continue, really. I think for now, what we've got to look at is leveraging our use of Canvas. So, you know, staff have quickly onboarded into Canvas. They, they, they've got the basis is how we enhance that. And I think for me, it's this issue around community and creating communities. So I personally really like groups in Canvas courses because I think they give us really good collaboration spaces where students can work together, work on projects, assignments, et cetera, as well. I think it gives us the functionality to upload, edit, and share lots of documents, work on combined presentations, et cetera. And within there, then, you've got the use of discussion boards. You can integrate with Zoom, use breakout rooms, whiteboards, collaborations. I think there are so many features that could be used. It's trying to decide what's the best use, again, linking back to the learning outcomes and achieving, and also things that foster engagement, I think, are also quite important. But again, the main thing is that connection between the online learning spaces and the physical working spaces and making sure you've got that connectivity. So for me, connectivity is a number of things. I think staff and students, you might want to think about creating announcements for your weekly tasks, etc., that might be a video announcement, a written announcement. Um, you could do check-ins. You might have open discussion boards in your courses. So you've left a, a tool there to enable dialogue and continue dialogue to create these, you know, connect the physical and virtual spaces, I think, are quite important. Um, other things I've seen done quite well are using some short Canvas Studio videos to introduce a topic at the beginning of every week. You might include some questions there to prompt thinking prior to the live sessions. So it gives something to go away and consider. And I think within studio as well, the ability to turn on comments in the videos gives students the options to think about and make note of the key things that are important to them. And I think things like that can help create connection across weekly activities and tasks and physical and online environments as well. And I think the other thing from a live point of view, from delivering a live session, that could then be followed up by signposting students towards groups. So they might be working on a specific question, a design, a presentation, et cetera, as well. So you're taking the information you've presented in the live session and connecting it to the online. And I think they're just a couple of examples of where I think you can use Canvas to leverage that connection. Yeah, I think Mel's made a really good point there. And I think what, what's resonated with me from, from what Mel just said was that word connection. I think it really, it really sums up both the role of, of a digital learning platform like Canvas in, in blended learning, but also a key aspect of how to implement effective blended learning. So I think Canvas as our digital learning platform is effectively the placemaker for that learning activity that takes place outside the physical teaching space. It's that virtual meeting place or jumping off point 
where you go to access all your information and your your activities and your and your connections again it's that word connection again to, to further develop your understanding um there's a there's a learning theory that's that's developed over the last well over the internet age i suppose connectivism um where it's all around your networks and your ability to pull in information from people and from resources um, online facilitated through online technology. And I think Canvas is almost like a mic microcosm of that really in terms of it's bringing the network to you. It's putting you in touch with your, with your tutors, with your peers, with your resources, with your links. And it's that one place where you can go to enhance the understanding that you've developed in the physical teaching space. And then that word connection, you know, it's, it's a really key aspect of good blended learning pedagogy. You have your physical teaching space, you have your virtual teaching space, but it's really important to build the bridge between the two. And you know, what Mel has been talking about is they're really good examples of doing that. Yeah, and I think, I think COVID, as far as I could see from my perspective as a, an academic developer, I could see that the COVID pandemic made, made staff have to learn the tools quickly. So now I think we've got this opportunity. They've got a really good understanding of what the tools can do. Now we have to get them to bring back all those good things they used to do in the classroom and say, right, okay, how can we get the technology to blend that so that you can then make a good learning environment, whether it's online or in the classroom, whether it's face-to-face, -face, whether it's uh, synchronous or asynchronous, however you want to play it. But the technology then can help you do that in a more seamless way. Yeah, and that's what blended learning is all about. It's, you know, we sit here as the technology enhanced learning team, but we're not going to tell you that technology is the answer to everything and that it trumps physical and face-to-face -face contact time. You know, there are certain things that you can that you can do well with technology and better with technology, but there's no denying that that face-to-face -face physical teaching space that, you know, the things we did before the pandemic there are things that you just can't replace with technology. So it's blended learning is all about, you know, being purposeful and picking the best way of achieving the learning outcomes, because what you said at the beginning, Alex, that's, it's the learning is what it's all about, not the, not the method. The method, it should be the best method for achieving the learning outcome. So, you know, it is a, it is a blend, again, using that word between the getting the best out of our physical teaching spaces and our online teaching spaces. So if blended learning is the future of higher education, it makes sense to really establish what we actually mean by that phrase, because there are lots of definitions out there. So could you sort of give us a definition that you feel is what blended learning is all about or what Swansea's take on it is? Yeah, I think, you know, I think blended learning is the future for, for higher education. You know, as you can imagine, there's been quite a bit of research done over the last couple of years around the impact of the uh, the increase of online learning. And, you know, a lot of the findings point to blended learning being something that can uh, close attainment gaps, uh, can promote more inclusivity and accessibility, and obviously the flexibility that it provides um, for our learners. And, you know, surveys demonstrate that that this is something that learners do actually want you know that we've seen some data recently from um, a survey that we've done at Swansea where the majority of our students when asked what they want going forward is a blend of face-to-face -face and and online so it's something that you know meets a lot it ticks a lot of boxes really so I mean you're also right in terms of the phrase having uh, perhaps different meanings to different people I think for me it's quite often overcomplicated. I don't know it, it, it 
if it's that difficult a concept, but quite frustratingly, you do see it used for things like when the schools were at home during lockdown and people were having to get their kids on on Teams or Zoom or, or whatever it was. And, you know, it was used as a bit of a catch-all ter catch term for that online learning. And you see people on social media going, oh, the kids are going back to blended learning. And I'm tearing my hair out going, that's not blended learning, you know? So I think for me, it would mean face-to-face -face instruction supplemented by online asynchronous, or rather, I think that's what the, the generally accepted version is. I would argue that Zoom synchronous instruction supplemented by online asynchronous would count as blended learning as well. I think for me, the, the key uh, defining aspect of it is that mix of synchronous and asynchronous. So you're getting live engagement, the opportunity to interact with both your tutor and your peers, and then you go into a space where you have your own interaction with material, with self-assessment, with further learning. That's how I would probably uh, delineate the, the the term, really. Can I, can I ju just add too? I think if if you subscribe to to that um, definition, where online with with synchronous session and asynchronous material on a digital learning platform, I think that the statement that blended is the future is a bit of a misnomer. We've been practicing it, and I think we need to recognize all of the good practice that's been happening over the last couple of years and previously, because um, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's been an area that's been in development for a number of years. And I think there's a lot of sound pedagogy around various different approaches to blended that, that instructors can, um, can draw from when, when developing their courses in the future. Yeah, I think that, I think that's right. I think it, it, it does feel like it's something new, but Fred's absolutely right. It has been happening for, for a while where we've had that, you know, VLEs or digital learning platforms or whatever you want to call them have been around for some time. So blended learning as a concept has been something that's that's been around for a little while. But I think just to add, where whereas I've talked about a delineation between asynchronous and synchronous, I think that is blended learning for me. However, as I alluded to earlier on, good blended learning needs to have that bridge between the two. I think that's, and it, again, it, it picks up on some themes from what Mel has been saying around connection. Um, you know, just to just to reiterate that from earlier on, you know, good blended learning is is a link between the two learning environments. I think there's something in there as well about intentionality, because as you said, you know, it's existed, it's something that's been happening for a number of years, but I think because of COVID and the shift, we changed our approach to doing things. So the degree of planning and inten intentionality maybe wasn't there. So rather than being reactive about blended learning approaches, it's being proactive about blended learning approaches. Fantastic. Well, we, we know it's important then that we establish how to do blended learning well. Uh, and it's such a multifaceted concept. Uh, we'll by no means be able to cover the breadth of it in a, a single episode. Uh, but could I just ask each of you to pick a theme within blended learning that you're passionate about and talk a bit about some examples of best practice in those areas and maybe some things that should be avoided if we're going to do blended learning well. Uh, Fred, how about you start us off? Yeah, um, so thinking of, of, I think engagement is a, is a, is a hot word right now and uh, as, as students come back to, to a campus, um, th there's anecdotal evidence that that students are not in, 
attending uh, lectures and, and there's still a, a drop in engagement. How, how do we improve uh, engagement and, and motivation with students? I think if we look at what you can do with a digital learning platform um, as, a, as a starting point, you can, you can take some, um, some lessons away from that. So uh, I think a, an important point to remember is that any, any kind of activity that you choose to include uh, to promote engagement or to promote motivation of your students is that these activities are not static and they shouldn't be uh, a single off uh, example. And you might have tried uh, setting up a discussion board in your course in the past uh, and, and set a question to say this is where you might come into your course to uh, to raise any questions for your instructor or, or to discuss with with your peers and uh, a semester down the line you you go and you find that 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 discussion board is empty and uh, students haven't engaged with it so it, it's not just because you've created the activity that students are going to come and engage so the, there needs to be a lot of forethought as to the kinds of activities and, and these activities, they should develop as the course develops. So um, I think there's, there's a good example by Celeste McLaughlin, who's um, the, the head of academic development for digital education in Edinburgh. And, and she, she starts off her courses where she adds a picture of her uh, own desk and a sentence of, or two about her work environment. And she invites her students to, uh, to do the same. And, and, and that's a completely left field sort of question that you might be asking your students, but it does help promote a, a sense of community and, and, and puts everybody at a sort of equal footing uh, when, when they're starting the course. And it also familiarizes the students with the tools that they're meant to be using. Um, when you are thinking of the activities that you are developing, be mindful of where students are coming from, the, the different cultures that they might be, uh, might be originating from. Uh, not everybody has the same background. Not everybody feels comfortable with discussing things in a discussion board. So think about how it is that you're setting an example. And when you ask students to engage, I think it's important to, to, to give them a clear exemplar of what that engagement should look like. So rather than just ask a question and, 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 and a directive, contribute, you might give an example of what a, a good contribution looks like so the students have a format to follow. Uh, and I have, I have seen online courses uh, and blended courses that, that use this very effectively. But at the end of the day, you want to develop a community, you want to start getting students to um, sort of latch onto an identity of what that community means, be it in the context of a, a, a lengthier program or just one individual module. Uh, another quick example that, that I thought was quite interesting was for, for group activities where you might start with low stakes group activities before you go on to the larger sort of more uh, summative assessments that, that you might ask students to do in a group. And this is also an example from, from Celeste in, in that she asked her students to agree uh, in group ground rules. Now, in, in the past, I have, I have been in group activities where the group instructions are given to you and you're supposed to follow those instructions. But I think by flipping it and by giving uh, the students the ownership of coming up with how they're going to engage with each other, uh, but also sharing that uh, their findings and how, not their findings, but rather their, the, the, the group rules that they've come up with, with their peers, uh, does promote ownership. Um, hopefully enhances trust within that group working environment. It also gives students agency. It, it gives them something to that they own 
that is not just the assessment that they are developing. Great. Thanks so much for that, Fred. Uh, Christian, what do you reckon? I'm going to cheat and pick two, actually, although they are connected and there's, there, there are links to what Fred has, uh, has, has talked about, and that's community and communication. Um, I think community is vital. And it was no surprise that during the pandemic, you know, all the surveys and the uh, that were conducted around asking asking learners about what they what they missed the most during online learning, the, the sense of community, the you know, the networking, uh, that was a, a huge theme. Um, of course, an aspect of that was social, but I think there was a fundamental part of that involved in the learning as well, around learners missed having collaborative opportunities to work with their peers. I think from, from my perspective, I'm a, I'm a strong social constructivist and I think one of the richest resources a learner has at their disposal is their peers. Um, one, of my, one of my learning heroes, I suppose, um, Diana Lorillard, Professor Diana Lorillard from UCL, University College London, she frames her whole theory of learning around conversation, her work, her main work is the conversational framework. And for me, the, the crux of good blended learning is, I alluded to it earlier, that purposeful session design. So making the best use of, of each delivery method and choosing the best delivery method for the intended outcome. So if you've got a room full of learners, if you're delivering a fairly one-way session to that room full of learners, I feel it's a waste of that resource. And I think it's also the wrong way around in terms of effectiveness. You know, you've got that rich resource there and the activity that, that they're doing is acquisition, which is quite low, low level thinking skills. So you're asking them to just basically just to recall and to retain the information that, that, that's coming to them. Well, surely it, they'd be better off doing that on their own where they don't need that support. And those other activities around developing the more higher order thinking skills, you know, analysis, negotiation, collaboration, those activities should be done when you've got all those resources around you, when you've got your peers, when you've got your tutor present. So, you know, very much flipped learning, you know, that, that's where that sort of comes in. Um, and also, it, you know, it, Fred alluded to it, and in a previous episode of this podcast, um, I think it was Dr. Pete Arnold talked about, you know, attendance and engagement and how that, you know, in the, in the days now of recordings being regularly available, you know, there's that real tension between the two, but I think where we're planning for community and conversation between peers, you're giving people a reason to be present. You're, you're making it a valuable experience where attendance, you are going to get more out of it than just watching a recording of the session. So I think that would be my, my good practice. Um, in terms of things to avoid, uh, and again, I think it's been alluded to before in, in, in the session, but it's that set it and forget it. Yes, it was Fred was, was just explaining around how you can create a discussion forum, but just creating the discussion forum doesn't guarantee success. So avoid that set it and forget it mentality. And again, building the bridge between the two, uh, recognizing that good discussion, for example, doesn't happen by itself. Uh, Jilly Salmon, five-stage model, she talks about having to work through different stages of onboarding learners to be able to create the environment for effective discussion. And you have to work through that. It's not just going to happen overnight. Um, so I think making sure that as an instructor, you're present in your Canvas course, you know, you're making it feel like a continuation of the learning conversation. 
you're making explicit links between the live session and the asynchronous resources and activities. You know, the language that you're using is warm and, you know, professional, but warm and conversational. You're prompting those discussions. You're in that discussion forum, modeling good practice, as Fred mentioned. You're giving feedback. You're setting expectations and you're creating a flow and a clear scaffolding for learners so that they can make the best use of the online and, and linking that back with the with the physical teaching space. Can I just come in there, just on the back of that, you know, you talked about the, the different skills and activity types, et cetera, and acquisition. And for me, I think there's a really good link there with like the ABC curriculum design, because I think it's looking at what activities are going to promote engagement in your, in your classes, whether that be online or in, in a face-to-face -face environment. And that there's this purposeful design that looks at the integration of those, of those activity types across both those environments. And I think it's great that we've got that as a as an option to provide what for people if they're interested in either reviewing existing programs or creating new programs from the outset. Yeah, and agree because I think what would terrify staff, busy staff is that you're saying, right, I've got to do my lecture with my two hours. Then you're telling me now I've got to concentrate on taking that forward and keeping going. Where am I going to get that time from? That's where really good um, curriculum and design comes in, isn't it? And that's, you know, using your, as you said before, Christine, as using that lecture time for activity-based, for really getting into what is it that you want those students to, to take away with them and learning the, the the material that can happen later or it actually can happen a lot better in the session when you've got activities that are drawing on the need to know what that information is even if you've got it by the side of you the fact that you're going back to it and you're using it and you're referring back and forth that's what really makes the learning happen and it's a really exciting time I think that we're in yeah and you know we, we fully recognize that there are there are sometimes challenges to that type of pedagogy you know if you've got a really large cohort sometimes it can feel quite challenging to have activities and discussion because you know we get into a whole other conversation around engagement again links back to what Fred said earlier on um, but that conversation you know it can be done even in a big tiered lecture theater you can do things like I think pair share where you can turn to your partner and discuss and even if not every pair is feeding back just that activity of turning to another person and getting a different perspective and it may be the same perspective that may be the same understanding that you had and if that's the case brilliant because it reinforces your learning it helps you think okay well somebody else saw it like i did so that makes me feel that i've understood it correctly or if that person has a different perspective you know you do one of two things you either disagree and go well actually what i thought initially makes more sense to me so i i, I can see the weakness in that person's understanding and you you're you're there as uh, trying to persuade them of your point of view or you can change your own schema and you can say well actually I'd never seen it like that before and you don't always get that from a one-way tutor to peer interactivity so that's what you know that's an example of why peer learning is I feel is a really powerful tool not by itself you have to close the loop and that's what Diana Lorela does in a conversational framework you know around peers are an integral part of the learning journey, but then that loop is always closed where you go back to tutor and, and individual to, to validate those and that understanding and to, to make sure that people are kept on the right track. But it's, it's all part of that, that mesh and that, those different techniques and, and the, the, the journey and the learning activity as a, as a whole.
Thank you so much, Christian. Uh, Mel? Yeah, I think I would have focused on accessibility, really. Um, I think we've seen particularly the use of video increase tremendously over the last two years. Um, you know, we've talked about long, long lecture recordings and bite size, etc. But I think captioning in videos is really important from an accessibility perspective. And I think the development in AI over the last couple of years have, have really helped. So the accuracy of those captions is really improving. And I think that's been something that's been very beneficial. And it's not just, you know, it's all students, but, you know, it, students learning the English language, et cetera, it helps that as well. And I think what we're also seeing now, again, coming back to where students come from, school-age children and, you know, studying in further education, a lot of them are using captions on YouTube, television programmes, et cetera, to help develop literacy, et cetera, as well. So when they get to the point of higher education, their expectations for around an accessible video are, are much more enhanced than maybe we would have expected because of how they're using it as a younger age. And I think I just want to link to the recent DEI survey, and I think some of the, the results coming out from that are showing that a large proportion of our students think that the online learning materials we are given are quite accessible. That was coming out to 78%. So that shows we are doing some good practice there. But again, there's always room for improvement. So 73% have been le accessing lecture recordings or recorded classes. So again, there's demand for consuming content in that way. But after that, only 31% have used captions. So th there, there is this need for this accessible approach to video material and the use of captions as well, I think. And I think, again, over the last two years, maybe prompted by COVID, the caption accuracy has increased across a range of platforms, whether you Zoom, Team, Panopto, et cetera, as well. But I think you've got to know how to enable it, know which settings to put on and make sure they're there for students. So I think that's something I'd like us to continue pushing on so that figure's 100% rather than kind of 78%. It's becoming more embedded in our practice because of the experience of the last two years we've just got to continue pushing on. And I think in terms of things to avoid, creating, again, this video theme, long duration videos with very large files, because they can be a, a, a real challenge for accessibility. I think a large percentage of our students actually access the Canvas material on mobile devices. So we have to consider Wi-Fi access, poor connections, download speeds, et cetera, as well. So Again, you know, nearly 50% of the students reported issues with Wi-Fi connection affecting their ability to access courses and also an impact on mobile data costs. So again, as part of this intentional design and to enhance accessibility, these are some of the, the aspects that we need to consider. And I think for me, the, the key take home with like video and accessibility is to consider its context as well, where it fits. So let's not just put an embedded video on a page. Let's look at scaffolding that. So what is the purpose of watching this video? What are the key things I need to think on or reflect on as part of that process? What do I do, need to do differently as a result of watching this video? And again, how does this experience of this six-minute video link to my live classroom experience that I'm going to get on Tuesday? 
So it's, it's about building the environment, using the right tools in a purposeful way that connects across environments. And again, I think that all comes back to sound curriculum planning from the outset for something that's slightly more intentional. One thing that, that we haven't mentioned explicitly, but it's been alluded in, I think, every conversation here uh, is that sitting sitting behind all of these various different approaches to how you might enhance your blended practice uh, are really the learning outcomes of, of your, your program or your course. What, what do you want to achieve? What do you want your students to look like at the end of the program? Uh, and, and there's always opportunity to, to look at those learning outcomes as the anchor points that will guide you whatever method or model that you choose to, to employ uh, blended practice in your course. And looking at those learning outcomes, um, reviewing those learning outcomes, making sure that they are clear, concise, that they use active verbs. Uh, you can rely on Bloom's taxonomy to, to, to revisit those learning outcomes. And then I think it's a really effective way if you, if, if you start by reflecting on those and then you look at aligning the various different learning activities and assessments that you might have uh, is, is a good starting point. You've demonstrated well that there is a wealth of knowledge and expertise in the team. So how would staff get in touch to find out more and maybe to get some help and support in developing um, their curriculum in a more blended way? Okay, uh, well, they can contact us uh, usually via the, the university's service desk. Uh, we do have um, contact details on our SALT website, which is swansea.ac.uk forward slash ISS forward slash salt. Uh, but it's not just about contacting us. I think uh, the, this podcast in particular is a good example where you might hear uh, about things that are tell related, even if the technology enhanced learning team is not uh, present. We are cross-disciplinary team, so we, we do participate in, in a lot of projects that happen across salt. Uh, salt conference is happening on the 13th of July, 2022. We will all be there. So uh, if you have any, any questions about anything that we discussed today or have any ideas or, or, or uh, wanted to tell us why we're wrong about a, a thing or two, uh, come, come and say hello. Uh, we've, we've got loads of ex effective practice sessions and training sessions. Those are available on our Eventbrite page and you can look at that link. Uh, within the the SALT website that, that I mentioned previously, uh, and also the newsletter, which is a, a newsletter that we released this year and will be a, a regular occurrence across the year, uh, and, and it will signpost to the various activities that, that SALT uh, is planning that you can participate with. Thanks ever so much. What I'll do is I'll, I'll put all of those things that you've mentioned, and if you've got any other links, we'll put those in the show notes. Fantastic. Well... Thank you so much for coming on, guys. In time-honoured SALT podcast tradition, uh, we're going to do our salty questions now. This is just a bit of fun at the end of the episode, some quick-fire questions for you. So, first of all, what's your favourite tool on campus? Um, I, I quite like uh, prerequisites and requirements. Uh, it's, a, it's a way of guiding your students through a particular linear form through through your course, and, and you can um, link the, the access of... Uh, of a later component of, of the course to uh, having completed something previously. Um, I, I quite like assignment groups as well because they, they, they really help in, in structuring multi-component assessments and, and weighting uh, those assessments. Um, for me, it's probably Canvas Studio. So um, it's 
I'm a I'm a big fan of micro lectures. I think it's really powerful if you can uh, create short, punchy videos around perhaps the key topics of your subject, or perhaps those topics that learners every year perhaps struggle with, and you've got that video functionality built into Canvas where you can quickly create a quick, quick explainer video and you can enhance that video as well with annotations and adding quizzes for you know formative assessment. So I really like that too. I'd stick with groups primarily around this engagement and connectivity theme because I think you know whether they are groups that you've decided as the lecturer or sign up groups so students can select topics or areas that they're interested in but I think this just functionality to give them their own space where they can join online, discuss, share, create pages, products, etc. I think it's something that's really important and again will link very well to blended learning approaches. Okay, if you could describe blended learning in three words, please. Tough ask. Um, deliberate, inclusive and scaffolded. I'm going to go with planned, connected, and engaging. Okay. I was going to say connected, um, but I will go with inclusive, purposeful, and empowering. Incredible. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for, for coming on the podcast today. And thank you for listening to A Pinch of Salt. Uh, you can find new releases of this podcast on the last Tuesday of every month with the odd bonus episode scattered in between. So, uh, without much further ado, it's uh, goodbye from the Tell team. Bye. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Mandy. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.